But we are continuing on in this series where we're looking at God's plan for everything. And we've uh, studied various stages of this. We've studied the creation, the fall, redemption, and now we're in the section called proclamation. We talked about how we are commissioned, not just in the Great Commission, but in other places, to proclaim Christ. We then talked about the opposition to that proclamation, that there are real spiritual forces that are opposed to the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And we discussed uh, spiritual warfare. And if we kind of ended on, on that note, it'd be kind of a, a rough situation. If you hear that uh, our job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there are uh, spiritual forces that are at work opposing that, uh, you kind of leave and feel like, uh, well, great. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do about that? How am, I, how am I supposed to counter those type of forces? Fortunately, we have a, an empowering person We have someone who is sent to us in order to better enable us to enter into spiritual warfare as we proclaim Christ. And so we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit this week, but we're going to be kind of looking at a narrow range when we come to talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's always this temptation when you come to the Holy Spirit, uh, because uh, it seems like the Holy Spirit is either ignored or there's sometimes some fishy things taught around the person of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, usually when you come to a topic like that, your temptation is to try and cover everything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we don't have uh, the time or the capacity to cover everything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we're going to really focus on His empowering work. And uh, if you'll remember way, 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 way back uh, to when we did creation, there was one lesson we had called the triune God of creation. We looked at the Trinity, talked about how we serve this mysterious God who is three in one. Well, there's one God who exists in the person of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you have a good enough memory to remember way back then, we said, you know, one of the big evidences for the deity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this uh, phrase that comes to us in Scripture that is, salvation is of God. Salvation is a work of God. It is something that He accomplishes, and only He accomplishes. So when we look at Christ, we see hey, Christ is a, a Savior. Christ brings justification. Christ brings reconciliation to the Father through His work on the cross. And if He participates in that saving work, He must be God. The same can be said of the Holy Spirit. Remember our three aspects of salvation. We have, uh, man, I just started going through the five stages again. Redemption, probably, no. Uh, in the five, or sorry, the three aspects of salvation. There's justification, that is, we have been saved, we have been declared right. There's sanctification, where we are being made more holy, and we have glorification. The Holy Spirit's work, uh, really, 
uh, what we're talking about is his work in that second aspect of salvation. The sanctifying work that occurs, that makes us, those who have accepted and believed in Christ, more and more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit is promised uh, in John 16. So that's where we're going to start out. Uh, as usual, as we try and cover way too much and way too little time, uh, we'll be jumping around a bit. But John chapter 16, actually I lied to you. Uh, we're we're going to focus on John 16, but I, I want you to just back up a little bit to the end of verse 15. Uh, so we'll, we're going to start out. John 15, uh, we're going to read verses uh, 25 through 27, in the, or sorry, 26 and 27, and then we're going to jump down to John 16, 5, okay? So we're going to do a little, a little two-step. We're going to start out in John 15, 26, and then we're, we're going to, uh, when we get to chapter 16, we'll jump down to verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now 16, verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So a a lot of, of coverage here in this passage dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of get some hints as to the Holy Spirit's work by some of his titles. We see uh, 1526, the Helper, uh, later on called the Spirit of Truth. Uh, the the uh, Some passages uh, translate Helper as uh, Counselor or Advocate. Um, and so the question comes, if he is a helper, if he's an advocate, if he's a counselor, what is he helping us to do? What is he helping us to accomplish? How is he counseling us? How is he equipping us? And I believe that comes in 16 verse 14. He will glorify me. 
He will glorify me. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to equip us to glorify Jesus Christ. So as we think about this section, which we uh, call proclamation, and we think about what the the goal of, of this section is, is, is to get you around the idea that our objective is to, to glare the glory of Jesus Christ as manifest in His gospel. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Well, He's helping equip us to declare the Christ that we are sent out into the world to proclaim. He bears witness about Christ. He declares to us these things of Christ. He, uh, uh, one of the things we also see in, in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is given. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you to him to you. I'm, I'm going to give him. Uh, we are uh, see throughout Scripture that this empowering work of the Spirit is a gift. In fact, there are some related works to it that are uh, aptly called spiritual gifts that help us and empower us towards this end. So the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we would be empowered to bear witness about Christ. And we, we see that this uh, power... Uh, by the way, power is something that deserves to be extrapolated a little bit. You know, I think sometimes we talk about spiritual power and you mean, well, well what, do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, and the Holy Spirit is often rightly associated with power. So what's that power look like? What's that power do? What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, and I think of uh, kind of uh, three uh, areas that we're, where we see power or empowering. Uh, one is energy. The, the Holy Spirit empowers us by energizing us for the task. Another form of empowering is ability. Through the Holy Spirit's empowering, we have the ability to do things we previously didn't do. Here, in, the, in this particular passage, it says, hey, he's going to tell you stuff about me that you forgot. He's going to tell you stuff about me that uh, you don't know. I'm going to send him so that you can do things that you were previously unable to do. He's going to empower with energy. He's going to empower with ability. And uh, thirdly, he's going to empower in terms of efficacy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if we're pursuing our goals and we don't have the ability to accomplish them through our own power, it means that the Holy Spirit accomplishes those purposes. When you think about the, the objectives that we have, yeah, we're proclaiming Christ. What do we hope? Well, we hope that unbelievers recognize the righteousness of Christ and are convicted by that and come to believing faith. How much power do we have in and of ourselves to accomplish that purpose? Zero. So, so if, if we're pursuing these spiritual objectives, we need the Holy Spirit's empowering work to give us energy, ability, and efficacy in the work that He has called us to. We, we see that it is 
By the way, a proof of this comes in this passage when it talks about uh, what will the Holy Spirit do. Verse 8 of chapter 16. When He comes, He's going to do three things. He will convict the world. Uh, he will concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he comes to convict in three areas. He says concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We, we see he kind of convicts in this these three areas. He convicts... Uh, first of the sin of unbelief in Christ. So he, he comes to, to convict those that they don't believe in Christ. Secondly, he comes to convict in terms of righteousness. So w- what's that mean? It, well, he comes to convict people in order to let them know that there is righteousness that is available in Christ. And, and that good news. He didn't just come to convict us of sin. I've got this horrible, you know, awful sin I've got to deal with. But he also convicts that righteousness is available in Christ. And, and thirdly, he comes to convict in terms of victory. That Christ is victorious over the devil. That the ruler of this world is already judged is already condemned in Christ. The Holy Spirit has this convicting work. And, and, and what is all that convicting of the sin of unbelief in Christ, of the availability and righteousness in Christ, of the victory of Christ over the devil? All those things are the Holy Spirit pointing to, directing people to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So what's the Holy Spirit do? He empowers us to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and His Gospel. That's what His empowering work does. That's one aspect of it. We're going to be talking about uh, two aspects. One is empowered to bear witness, which we've covered. And the second one is going to be the Holy Spirit's work in, in relation to the church. Um, the, the way you can can remember these two, I don't know if you guys ever went to the mall. Uh, they they have a, a store called Build a Bear there. So if you need to remember the two points from this message, just think of the mall store Build a Bear. Uh, so the, the the first thing he comes to do is to bear witness to Christ. So that's that's bear. The second thing he comes to do is to build the church. So build a bear. Those are those are the two points. They're out of order, but it, you know you might forget everything else from this. But just remember, build a bear. So to look at the way in which the Holy Spirit empowers us to to build the church, let's look at. Uh, we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to look at First uh, Corinthians twelve. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11. And as we read this, uh, I want you to, to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and in His work concerning spiritual gifts. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another by faith the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, now starting at that last verse of 11, I want you to notice that these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit, and he apportions to each one individually as he wills. What does that mean? That means that he gives it according to his own determination. Uh, the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit are not earned. They're given. Uh, one of the things that I think happens is that we think of justification as by grace, as a gift of God, and then we start to think of sanctification as a work we do to add on to justification, and then, we, you know, through our sanctification, we can start paying back the grace a little bit. But what this passage says is that even the good works you do are a gift of the Holy Spirit empowering you to accomplish it. What does that mean? That means that when we do good works, we're not paying back grace, we're borrowing more grace in order to accomplish His purposes. The Holy Spirit empowers this work. It is by grace. We've started by grace. We continue by grace. Now, uh, these gifts... Uh, I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding spiritual gifts. And by the way, even the term spiritual gift, the way it's presented in the Greek, points to the nature of God's grace in giving it. Uh, the Greek word for grace is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S is kind of the English uh, transliteration. Or, or I forget what it's called when you change some, the language of something in English. And so that's grace. Charis. Uh, and then there, the word used for gift here is charismata. C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A-T-A. So in in the Greek language, it's very apparent there's a connection between grace and gift. By the way, what what is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's something you didn't earn. What's a gift? 
Well, it's, it's something you didn't earn that's given to you. And by the way, not all gifts in the ancient world were that way. That's why they had a, a specific word for this type of charismatic gift. There were other gifts that were... The best way to put it is like bribes or social obligations of reciprocity. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, you think of tipping. Is tipping a gift? Kind of, but not really. You know, it's, it's something kind of expected. Or, you know, in their day and age, it might be, hey, you know, if you give this gift... To the judge, whenever you have a case that comes up, you might get a favorable ruling. Or there was a social obligation, like if somebody gave you a gift, you were expected to give something back in return. So you might give somebody a certain gift with the hope that they would give a different gift back to you. So this is referring to a different kind of gift giving. It's not a reciprocity type of gift giving. It is a grace type of gift, a free gift, an unobliged gift that's given out of the goodness of the giver, not the deservedness of the receiver. So even in describing these things as spiritual gifts, it's pointing to the fact that they are rooted in and grounded in the grace of God. In fact, if you read old-timey literature from you know a hundred or more years ago, well, you might run into descriptions uh, not of spiritual gifts, but they actually call them spiritual graces. Uh, which is, I think, a fabulous name for it. We're going we're to try and bring that back a little uh, now in, into our day and age. So uh, as we look at the spiritual graces here, uh, another thing I, w- I want us to see is uh, what is the nature of a gift? Now, saints, this is uh, real simple, but I think it's a, a point in which a lot of people have gotten confused. Um, if I have something for you, at what point does it become a gift? Is it when I earmark it for you? Or, or is it when you actually take possession of it? It's, it's when you actually take possession of it. In, in, otherwise, it's just something I have. It's not a gift if you don't give it. Okay, that's pretty deep now. You, you, know, you don't need to think about that for a while. It's not a gift if you don't give it. Otherwise, it's just something I have. Now, the question people don't ask appropriately when they're thinking about spiritual gifts is who is the gift given to? And in in order to look at that, I want you to look at our text. Who do all these gifts come to serve? Look at chapter 12. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, skip ahead a couple chapters. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14.12, also talking about the manifestations of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.12, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. 
The, the, the gift becomes a gift when you give it. Who's it given? It's given for the common good of the church. Um, now one of the clearest ways to, to kind of illustrate this, I think, uh, comes from, you know, there's these various lists of various gifts in different places. And in uh, one, one of the places where it mentions uh, uh, the, these gifts, one of the gifts is just called the gift of giving. And people take that a different way, but I, I kind of take it very plainly and simply to mean the gift of financial giving and generosity. Now, if the, if the gift of generosity is something that's given by the Spirit to you, then it's just the person with the most money that has the gift of giving, right? But that's not who the gifts are directed to. The gifts are directed to the church. If the gifts of the Holy Spirit are something that is given through you to the church, then who becomes the one who has the gift of giving? What's the one who gives the most to the church? It's the ones who are generous above and beyond what's normal. So, you know, you'll see this with, with, with teaching too. You'll have somebody and they'll say, you know, I think I got the, the, the gift of teaching. I say, well, who have you taught? Mm-hmm. Who, who have you given that gift to? Has the church confirmed that? Has anybody learned anything when you've been teaching? You know, there, there are, are, are ways to see, okay, it, it, if you have this gift, number one, it needs to be directed to service in the church, and it needs to be having a positive effect. It's for the common good, not for the common bad. It's for the building up of the church, not the tearing down. And by the way, I've, I've, you know, in, because of seminary and, and various things, I've run into people who, who think they have gifts, but then you, you look at what you're doing and you think, I'm not sure. There's somebody who was uh, I knew that was convinced, a seminary graduate, that he knew uh, more than any of the pastors in Memphis, and therefore refused to sit under any of their authority. He believed he had the gift of teaching, but who was he teaching? Nobody. He wasn't doing anything. I don't think that's a spiritual gift, but I think that's arrogance and pride. I think that's conceit and self-centeredness. And when we think of the gifts as things we have, not things that are given to the church, I think that danger can become very prevalent. I think of Christmas time. And uh, we, we have Christmas time now with uh, a bunch of nephews. I'm excited to have our, our twin boys kind of participate in, in their first Christmas coming up. And, uh, you know, one of the things you have at, at Christmas time is all the presents are under the tree. And uh, those of us who are older folks who don't want to get down under the tree, you assign somebody the job of, of going and distributing those presents, Right. Now, usually it's one of the little kids. Why? Because they got energy. (laughs) And they're excited about it. They enjoy distributing to you a gift. Now, did they buy the gift? No. But they're still excited to, to, to give it to you. 
Now, now, that's one of the ways I think about the spiritual gifts. God has provided these gifts, He has provided these things for the church, and we have the opportunity to take that gift and bring it to the church and offer it to the church of Christ. And so it is through the Holy Spirit's work that we have something to offer the church, to give to the church. So I I want you, as you think about the Holy Spirit's empowering work, it is to bear witness to Christ, and it is to build up His church. By the way, the two are related. As we bear witness to Christ and proclaim His gospel, what happens? Well, hopefully people get converted. After they're converted, what do they need to be reminded of? They need to be reminded of the excellency and the efficacy of their Savior. What does that do? That builds up the church. The true works are are both, uh, you know, we've given them different labels, but they're both intimately interrelated. He equips us to bear witness to Christ and to build up the church of Christ. Now, um, with the time that we have left, I, 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 I want to try, as y'all know me, have known me long enough, try as best as I can to uh, get into application. The, um, I, I believe our um, call to worship came to Ephesians uh, from Ephesians five. In Ephesians 5.18, there's this passage that uh, exhorts us not to be drunk with wine, but to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about that analogy for a minute. It's kind of a, a either or, or situation. And kind of the way it's phrased is like, don't be drunk with wine, be, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Uh, you know, don't be controlled by spirits, but be controlled by the spirit, you know? Sorry, that's a liquor joke. I guess that doesn't go over well here. Um, so, but I want you to think about this question. When somebody gets drunk, do they act more like themselves or less like themselves? When somebody gets drunk, do they act more like themselves or less like themselves? In one way, they they act a little less like themselves. You know, somebody uh, starts acting angry or uh, racist or gossipy, and then you know somebody might excuse and say, "Oh, it's just the alcohol talking." But another way, they're acting a little bit more like themselves because the alcohol didn't cause them to be racist or angry or gossipy. It just provided an opportunity for those things to be expressed. As we talk about being controlled by the Holy Spirit, one of the things I want you to think of it as is, uh, in a way, I think sometimes we think being controlled by the Holy Spirit just means we're an empty, lifeless mass that is animated by, by something. That's not really what happens. In a way, yeah, we become a little bit less like ourselves. But in another way, we become even more like ourselves. 
Because the, the God who has made you is working through His Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes that He has set out before the foundation of the world for Him to accomplish through you. And whereas being under the control of alcohol may uh, allow more and more of the flesh and the negative things in you to be manifest, being more and more controlled by the Holy Spirit allows more and more of the holy and good purposes God has prepared for you to be manifest. And I, I want to give you two uh, real practical, real simple ways uh, in, in which we pursue filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's look at Second uh, Peter one twenty through twenty one. Second Peter, chapter one, verses twenty through twenty one. This is Peter talking about the inspiration of the Bible. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's this passage telling us? It's telling us that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If we want to be more controlled by, if we want to abide in, if we want to be filled by the Spirit, one of the ways we try and pursue a a greater reception of His work in our life is by increasing the input of the Spirit in our lives. How? By paying attention to the Scriptures which He's been inspired. By the way, this is important for spiritual warfare too. Uh, remember last time, not last week, but last time we were together, we talked about spiritual warfare. The only offensive weapon that is mentioned in the list of the armor of God is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we have, I think sometimes Star Wars has influenced our understanding of the Holy Spirit more than <laughs> the Bible has, because we start to think of, you know, kind of the Holy Spirit kind of like the force. You've got to get this kind of mystical apprehension uh, of, of the Spirit, and then you're empowered to do these, these kind of, you know, weird supernatural things. It's, now, if, if you want more of, of the Spirit, if you want to be controlled more by the Spirit, if you want more of the Spirit's output in your life, then get more of the Spirit's input. And what we know and what is confirmed in terms of the Spirit is that He is the inspiration for all of the Scriptures. So are we, are, are we reading the Scriptures? And by the way, not just reading the Scriptures, but the manner in which we are reading the Scriptures is important. Am I reading the Scriptures in order that I will be empowered so that I don't have to rely on God, that I can be independent and self-sufficient on my own? That's the way some people come to Scripture. Or am I reading the Scripture saying, Lord, this is your word. 
This is what you have given to me. This is what you have revealed to me. And as I read it, I want to submit myself under it as the authority in my life. Lord, allow this to control me and influence me more and more and more so that your Holy Spirit would have the ability to work in and through me to the glory of Christ and to the building up of His church. If you want to be filled by the Spirit, I think we should be filled with the writing that the Spirit inspired. Uh, let's uh, look at, at this second area we can uh, work in in order to submit to the Spirit uh, in Jude chapter 1. Well, Jude's one chapter. I don't know why I said chapter one. (laughs) In Jude, uh, verses 20 through 21, we hear this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Again, uh, this uh, work of the Spirit not only builds up the church, but also builds up us. Do you know why? We're a part of the church. (laughs) But it, it says praying in the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you read through the book of Acts, uh, it, it, uh, uh, if, if you ever get a chance to do it, uh, it's really hard to read through the whole book of Acts in one sitting, but uh, you know, if you do it in, in two or three sittings and just take large portions of it, look for any time prayer is mentioned. And then any time prayer is mentioned, wait a little bit and see if there isn't an outpouring, a large manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving in power through the church. Just look for that pattern. Look for people devoting themselves to prayer and then the Holy Spirit showing up and something amazing happens. If you, if you're tuned into that pattern and reading the book of Acts, it happens over and over and over and over again. Here, here this is praying in the Holy Spirit. one of the ways we gain more of the Spirit is by submitting to Him and our prayer lives. Just saying, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done. Lord, don't, don't put my flesh in control. Put Your Spirit in control. Lord, I need Your help to accomplish these things. We're, we're submitting not only to the Word of God, but we're submitting in ourselves through our prayer lives to Him and His active working in us. And, and saints, these, these aren't complicated things. I, I think sometimes we make it real mystical. Oh, I want to be, I want to be controlled by the Spirit. Well, do you want to pray? Do you, do you want to read your Bible? Do you want to submit yourself to God through those activities continually, daily, hour by hour, minute by minute? Is that something you're interested in? And a lot of times people aren't. Well, that doesn't seem as fun and as mystical. 
No, the, 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 these things, saints, there's uh, the, the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing, but the, the way we're filled by Him is by submitting to the Word, by continuing in, in prayer to faithfully seek Him in our lives working within us.